for Jesus. Amen. Well, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 with me, and let's stand and read three verses. And I want to just continue in this series that I began last Sunday called Showdown in the Desert. Showdown in the Desert. Jesus is being attacked by the devil with three different temptations. And I want to call this second temptation, there's three of them. We dealt with the first one last week. This second one, I want to just call this today temptation at the top. Temptation at the top. How many of you ever heard of the lonely wine of the top dog? Okay. Let me tell you about the lonely wine of the top dog. No, it's, there are things that come to people at the top that don't come to people who are struggling to get there. And let's look at Matthew 4 now, verse 5. Here's the devil coming to Jesus once again for the second time. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. Now i got a question for you, church. Is that true? Is this a correct verse? Yeah. What psalm is this? Psalms 91. He's quoting a psalm to him, and he's quoting it accurately, but he's misapplying it, and that's what the enemy does. He quotes the truth, but he misapplies it, and he tries to get us to misapply it. So he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now Jesus saw through it and said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. Father, we thank you for your word today. and We pray that you will open our eyes and open our hearts and open our understanding so that, Lord, we can walk in wisdom and avoid the traps and the snares of the enemy. Help us to avoid presumptuous sin. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Tell your neighbor to perk up and listen. They're going to need this today. Hmm. Now, I think it's real important to establish every time the setting of these temptations. There is a setting for these temptations. And the setting is that Jesus has just come out of the waters of baptism. Jesus has just been baptized in water. And baptized in water, remember, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And a voice was heard. And everybody there heard it. And the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It says that right after that, this spirit that descended on him, the Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, when we come to the life of Jesus, there is a mystery to the life of Jesus. Jesus, his life is unknown to us from the time he was born to the time we find him calling his first disciples to follow him on the shores of Galilee, and we see him being water baptized. There is a huge gap of time from infancy to around 30 that we know very little. 
we know that he worked with wood because Joseph was a carpenter. He was sort of what you would call in our day a blue-collar worker. We know that as a child, his parents thought that he was lost, and we got a glimpse of him in the temple, and he's asking the doctors there questions that just blew them away. He had wisdom beyond his years. Everybody was astonished at him. And we know that, you know, let's be honest. Mary was visited by the, by the uh, angel Gabriel. And Gabriel said, you're going to conceive unlike any woman has ever conceived. It's going to be the Holy Ghost overshadowing you. And that holy thing born in you is going to be called the Son of God. This was absolutely unprecedented in the annals of history. And, of course, she did and suffered social rejection. Gossip and slander were traveling around town. Mary is with child and they're not married yet. Joseph being visited by God in a dream took her unto himself and loved her anyway and they went through the ostracism that would have happened to you in that day. Jesus was born. Now, you can't tell me that Mary, being a woman and being a mother who loved her son, did not eventually tell him about her angelic visit. There is no way you're going to keep that under caps for 30 years. There's no way. So she came to him finally one day, surely, and said, you know, an angel visited me and you are not a normal child. And she knew he was not a normal child because can you imagine having a son who never got into trouble? Can you imagine having a child that never said no? Can, can, can you imagine what it was like to have a child that never sinned? There was never a sin between Jesus and God. So he was not like others. He was not like other children. He was different. As he grew up, it was very obvious to Mary, this child is indeed angelic. This child does not have Adam's sinful nature. He is not acting like a child of sin. And so as Jesus grew, we, we only know that the, one of the issues in his life, folks, had to have been, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of God. This was the issue surrounding the life of Jesus. This was it. And now, at 30 years old, he walks to the waters of baptism. John the Baptist sees him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus walks into the water. John says, I shouldn't baptize you. You ought to be baptizing me. Jesus said, let's fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus went down in the water and came up. And when he came up out of the water, the Holy Ghost descended on him like a dove. And what he had believed all of his life about himself, now he heard in an audible voice coming from heaven, you are my beloved son and I am well pleased in you. I mean, it was a big amen moment. Not that Jesus, I'm not saying he was doubting who he was, but this was a major affirmation. John the Baptist saying what he said, God saying what he said. I find this interesting because when the Spirit led him into the wilderness, it was that very issue, that very truth about himself that the enemy attacked. If you be the Son of God, if you be the Son of God, if, 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 if you be the Son of God, the enemy always leaves a question mark and God always leaves an exclamation point. God says you are more than a conqueror. You are a child of God. You are the blessed of the Lord. You are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. The devil says, are you? If, 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 if you are. 
And I've learned that whatever God does in my life and whatever he does in the lives of his children, that is what hell will place in its crosshairs. And that is what hell will attack. And so here is Jesus in the wilderness fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And the enemy comes to him to attack the word he's just received. This is why when God gives you a word about yourself, you ought to hide it in your heart. You're going to have to protect it. You're going to have to guard it. If he calls, if he, whatever he tells you about you, you're called to pray. You're called to work with women. You're called to work with men. You're called to minister. You're called to teach. You're called to pray. What, called to business. Whatever it is. You're called to go to prisoners. Whatever it is, the enemy's going to attack that and get you to questioning it and try to tear you down with doubt. If you are, if that's true about you, if this is true about you, then what about this and this and this and that and this and that and this and that? Until finally you're worn down by questioning. And so he comes to the Son of God. Two cosmic personalities. God the Son and the adversary of his soul. The fallen archangel, the devil. Two cosmic personalities encounter one another in a showdown in the desert. And we know last week I showed you the first thing he attacked was a provision issue. He said, if you're the son of God, you're starving to death. You better do something about it. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And we saw last week that it matters where you get your bread. It matters where you get your bread. Because you see, he had a legitimate issue. And we learned last week that you don't take care of a right issue the wrong way. Have you learned that yet? Jesus refused to misuse his privilege as God's son by turning stones into bread. He refused to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate fashion. There was nothing wrong with his need. It was a God-given need. But the enemy, the adversary, gave him an option that would have been sin. So he was trying to get Jesus to meet a right need a wrong way. And that's what he does with you and me. When it comes to provision issues, there's nothing wrong with needing money, nothing wrong with needing relationship, nothing wrong with the needs God has given us. But the adversary knows your need and will approach you with an illegitimate answer for a legitimate need. And Jesus saw through it and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I will wait on my God to meet my need. I will not meet a right need the wrong way. His word is good enough for me. I will chew on his word, meditate on his word, feed on his word, live on his word, crucify my flesh by his word, wait on his word, and his word will sustain me until my God meets my right need the right way. But now, just like the devil, just like the devil, he left him and then he came back with a second temptation. And this second temptation is now, if you're the son of God, and he begins to lead him into Jerusalem, leads him to the temple, takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, and he questions his godhood again. If you are the begotten of God, the Messiah of the world, jump, jump. Now, I want you to notice something. In the first temptation, Satan tempted Jesus to doubt the Father's care. You're starving. How come God hadn't taken care of your, your hunger? Why don't you doubt his care? Why don't you step out on your own, take care of your need? Obviously, God hadn't seen it. And I'm telling you, folks, Satan waits just near the finish line. In most of our lives, in most of our prayers, he waits right there, right before we're about to be provided for by God. He's there 
to try to get us to accept an illegitimate answer for a legitimate need. He's right there. Jesus was just about to receive the visitation of angels and be ministered to in the wilderness. It was just around the corner when the devil came and said, turn those stones into bread. He didn't come after 10 days or 20 days or 30. He came in the 40th day, the last day of the fast. God doesn't see your hunger, son of God. You take care of it. In the second temptation, Satan tempted Jesus, watch this now, not with a provision issue, but with a promotion issue. He tempted Jesus to promote himself rather than wait on God for his promotion. You say, well, pastor, I don't see that in this story. Well, watch this now. When he's in the wilderness all by himself, he's tempting him to doubt the father's care. But now in the second temptation, he's basically saying to Jesus, oh, so you trust God so much that he's going to care for you and you're not going to sin to get what you need? Then I'm going to tempt you to be overconfident in his care. I'm going to take you to two extremes. Notice, church, how Satan changed the setting for the two temptations. He changed the setting. In the first temptation, Jesus is in the wilderness, alone, hungry, disconnected. There's nobody around. He's all by himself. The jackals and coyotes and wolves howling at the night and in the daytime, nothing but that howling wind in the desert. He's alone. And in this setting, he was tempted to doubt the father's care and take matters into his own hands by abusing his power as the son of God. But in the second temptation, he was taken into the holy city, into the city of joy, into Jerusalem. Then he's taken up to the temple, and then, which was one of the wonders of the world, everybody looked at it when they were in town, in the city, And then up to the pinnacle of the temple, a highly exalted position. There he is, 40 days, 40 nights, without food. He's up on the pinnacle of the temple, and his view looking down from this dizzying height was a huge population of onlookers. It was an exalted position of prominence. We've all seen these horrible news stories where somebody decides to end their life. And it's usually in New York City. I don't know why. It's usually New York City. And they go up on top of some building and they get out on a ledge or they, they, they lean over the edge of the building and onlookers down on the ground, hundreds gather and many of the fools begin to shout, jump, jump, jump. Now please understand that here's Jesus, no food for 40 days and 40 nights. The enemy has led him into Jerusalem, led him into the temple, then to the pinnacle of the temple. He's high up. Below are the masses of people in the city of Jerusalem, and he's hearing the same thing. Jump! Jump! Go ahead, son of God, jump! And I'm going to tell you, it could not have been a temptation if there had not been a possibility. Remove possibility to do it, and it's no temptation. So here he is, I'm the son of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, he's either a lunatic or he is who he said he was. Because here he is, I'm the son of God. And the impulses from the enemy are striking his mind. There's no little devil standing here, visible, saying, go ahead, man, jump with a red tail and pitchfork and all of this. These are thoughts bombarding his mind. The fiery darts of of the devil are striking him, saying, jump, jump. It's an impulse. He's in a position of prominence. Now, I'm going to tell you why. 
It's in places of promotion and success. It's at the top. When we can be vulnerable to the temptation that hit Jesus right here. There are temptations unique to people who are struggling at the bottom. And there are temptations unique to people who are at the top. They are successful. The money is flowing. It seems like everything they touch is gold. And when you get at the top, you think you can do anything and that somehow God is going to change the rules for you. We've seen this. You see it all the time with politicians. You'll see them interviewed after they've made some kind of a terrible mistake. And it's very easy to see as they talk that what happened to them was they got to the top. And they believed that because they were who they, who they, who they perceived themselves to be, and everybody treated them the way that they did, like they were semi-gods, and they got what they wanted at the snap of a finger. They began to feel that they were above other people, better than other people, more valuable than other, more gifted, unique. And then they say to themselves, well, the rules don't apply up here. And they find out that God doesn't change the rules for anybody. God never changes the rules. And he didn't change the rules for them. And you see it in their faces when they are brought down to reality. Jesus is at the top, and the enemy is tempting him to bring to pass his ministry by jumping, and the angels will catch you. I can just hear the enemy. Jesus, just think about it. You know and I know that you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. God's voice spoke. John the Baptist pointed to you. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Jesus, it's time for you. So here's a great way to get the attention of the world. Here's a great way to promote yourself. Go to the pinnacle of the temple and jump. And don't you know that when everybody is gasping as they watch you fall, when suddenly the angels of God grab you and hold you up and you're levitating in midair, you can call the whole world to yourself because they'll know who you are that was the temptation promote yourself can I tell you something folks God never calls you or me to promote ourselves the devil was tempting him to promote himself first a provision issue then a promotion issue hurl yourself down in front of all these people and when they see you rescued in midair they'll worship you you know who you are. You know what you're called to do. Jump. But Jesus knew the Bible. And Jesus knew this was not God's way. Listen, Jesus knew this psalm. Promotion comes neither from the east nor the west or the south. God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Do you know that promotion comes neither from the south, the east, or the west, but God puts one person down, raises another person up. Promotion comes from the Lord God Almighty. We ought to all be promoted by him. And if he doesn't promote us, we don't need to be promoted. I heard a story a, a long time ago that I've always held to. A man was walking along in the woods down a country road and all of a sudden over here he sees in the distance a fence post and on the fence post he can't believe his eyes but there is a turtle on top of the fence post. <laughs> can't get down. He walks up, gets closer, he says, what in the world is a turtle 
doing on this fence post? He gets right up to him. Yeah, there he is on top of the fence post, his smooth belly up on there. He can't push himself down, and he's way up there. And the question begged to be answered, how did this turtle get up here? He didn't jump. He didn't fly. He didn't crawl because he's a turtle. Well, he put the guy down and went home, mentioned it to his son, and his son said, oh, I was there just a little bit earlier. I put him up there. But here's the deal. Children of God ought to be just that way. We ought to all be turtles on fence posts. How did you get up there? Well, I didn't crawl, and I didn't fly, and I didn't jump. The Lord God picked me up and put me where I could never have gotten otherwise. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're a turtle. Because see, if, 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 if you put yourself there, then you've got to keep yourself there. But if God puts you there, if God promotes you, then God's obligated to keep you there. That's why David would never kill Saul. Because David knew, if I kill Saul and put myself on that fence post, I've got to keep myself there. But if God takes care of my enemies and my promotion comes not by might and not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, then God puts me there. And if God puts me there, then God is obligated to keep me there. That's what all promotion from heaven is about. See, Jesus knew that that all, all promotion waits on two things, divine timing and divine preparation. Divine timing and divine preparation. All promotion waits on that. There is a time, the Bible says, for every purpose under heaven. There is a time. Every purpose in your life, there is a season for it. There is a timer attached to it. And if we try to run ahead of God and do it before we're ready, then what the Bible calls that is presumptuous sin. David said, oh, Lord, I pray, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin is when you presume on the goodness of God, you assume that because he did something here, then he's also going to do it here. And you get ahead of God, you get ahead of his timing, and you get ahead of his process, his preparation, and you are in presumption. And that's what the enemy was tempting Jesus to do. You're the son of God. Go ahead and jump. Go ahead. Make the leap of faith. Jump. And when they see you saved, they'll believe in you. But Jesus knew, no, no, no. I came in here led by the Spirit. And the Bible is clear to tell us when he left the wilderness, he left in the power of the Spirit because the preparation and the timing were full. And now it's time to go out, cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. Now it's my time. But before then, it was presumption. To go ahead of timing and ahead of his preparation is presumption and it's tempting or presuming on God. And you know what? As I share this, you're probably not aware of how often you're tempted to to commit a presumptuous sin. Keep back thy servant also, Lord, from presumptuous sin. Let me give you an example. If I, as a father, gave one of my children a credit card, then you can write right here, stupid. (laughs) But let's just say I did it. If I gave one of my children a credit card, and told them they could go to a store and buy $100 worth of clothes for school. Here you go. Here's the visa. Go get $100 worth of clothes. And when I got the bill, lo and behold, 500 was spent. And I said, 
what is this? And they said to me, well, dad, you were willing to give me a hundred. So I just assumed that you wouldn't mind because I saw some things I really liked if I went ahead and spent 500 anyway. Well, ask me if I would mind. (laughs) Ask your spouse if they would mind. But see, to do that is presuming on the Father's goodness. And that's what presumptuous sin is. It is presuming that because I did one thing, I can do another. And we do this all the time. It happens in the mall. It happens in the mall. We go into the mall, and I don't go to the mall much anymore. I will not go where Kathy works. Nordstrom's because I hear God all the time in there it's okay it's okay it's okay whip out that card go ahead and get that plaque how many of you hear God in malls come on and we go in there and we say you know I heard a great message this week said you're the head not the tail above and not beneath God's bless you in the storehouse and in the field I'm a blessed child of God hallelujah jump And so you buy this and you buy this and you buy that and you buy the other. And, you know, I have found that Visa will write you more faithfully than your mother. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Those credit card companies are so faithful to let you know they heard from you. And the bill comes. And here's what we do. Well, Father, hallelujah, I name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. Here it is. And God says, when you sign that thing, Jeff... I wasn't signing it with you, but you're going to help me, aren't you? He said, I am not obligated to enter into your presumption and get you out of trouble when you've committed a presumptuous sin. What I'm going to let you do is I'm going to let you pay it off. Hallelujah. Give me a great big praise. And I'm going to let you learn that not everything you see is yours, but you're to pray about it. You're to pray about it because Jesus said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You will not tempt the Lord your God. And when you move out and you say, well, this is faith, sometimes it's presumption. Now, don't shout me down. I can really hear the wheels rolling today. See, presumption enters in and we think that it's faith. And Jesus said, I'm not going to jump because if I jump, I'm going to go splat like anybody else. How many of you have noticed that when a Christian, even a preacher, jumps into financial trouble, they splat like anybody else? How many of you have splatted once or twice? How many of you are splatting now? Don't raise your hands. I just want want you to listen to this word. Satan was attacking Jesus on the heels of the first words he had ever heard. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, then go ahead and jump. He was tempting him to presume on the father's care. This is why I really believe that every believer in any choice you make, you ought to pray about it and say, Lord, is this for me? Now I know that it's there, but is this for me? You know, I've looked at probably 40 buildings in the last few months. And I got to tell you, there's been a few buildings I, I heard God. You know, you look at it and you go, oh, yeah, I feel it. And you get away from it where you can't see it anymore. And God says, that's not it. You know, I think of, of when, when uh, Samuel went to find the new king of Israel. And he was went to, uh, sent to Jesse's house. And he says to Jesse, all right, let me see your sons. Because I've been sent to find the next king. One after another after another. Six of them went before him. Tall, attractive, charismatic, impressive. 
And he said, surely this is the one. God said, don't anoint him. Surely this is the one. Don't anoint him. Surely, surely. Finally, they're all gone. And he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? Because these look good, but God does not give me a witness. And Jesse said, well, you know, there's one in the fields. He's shepherding sheep. He's still got acne. He's a, he's a teenager. Samuel said, bring him. And when David walked in, God said, that's the one. That's the one. Now, I want to tell you something, church. God is this particular. There are so many areas in our lives where we need to give God time to say, that's the one. That's it. That's the decision. That's the building. That's the person. That's the job. That's the house. That's it. You say, well, I want to make some of my own decisions. Go ahead. Go ahead. But my Bible tells me, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Because you'll get a hold of a few Ishmaels and you'll give up on your own thing. And God will say, that's the one. That's the one. So Jesus knew, if I jump, they will rescue me. God will not let himself be killed. But it is not the way he's called me to enter my ministry. So he said, I will not tempt the Lord God. And he's up on that pinnacle. And he turned around and he walked back down. And he was spared a tragedy. Because if Jesus had listened to either of the three, there would have been no redemption, no blood, no cross, no salvation, no heaven, no church, no Holy Spirit being poured out on the earth. The stakes were high as these two encountered each other. And Jesus knew, here's God's way. I'm going to walk into the temple when I come out of this wilderness. I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to open Isaiah 61, and I'm going to read, the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. And they're going to be fastened on me. And when I'm done, I'm going to go start casting out devils, healing the sick, opening blind eyes, unstopping deaf ears, raising the dead, walking on water, stilling storms. I'm going to take the ministry God has given me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a spectacle of myself by jumping prematurely. Now, he's the firstborn among many brethren. That means as God dealt with him, he deals with you and me. God says, wait on me, wait on me, wait on me. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is a power in waiting. And as you wait and give God time, you will hear God say, that's the one. That's what I wanted you to catch. I didn't want you committing presumptuous sin. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody needs to say, oh me. <laughs> so the second temptation, don't promote yourself. Listen to what the Bible says about it. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince. Don't promote yourself. Let God promote you. 
Presumptuous sin is also mentioned that you can presume on an anointing that is not yours. You can step into an office, a ministry office that is not yours. I was reading this week about King Uzziah, the very Uzziah that when Isaiah saw the Lord, Uzziah had been made king. And Uzziah, in a time of trial, walked into the temple after he'd been king for years. He grabbed a censer and he burned incense in the temple of God. And the priest came running in and said, what are you doing? You're the king, but you're not a priest. This is not your office. And he said, get out of here. Leave me alone. I'm the mighty King Uzziah. I can do anything I want, which is what people at the top say. And they said, it's too late. And as soon as they said it's too late, leprosy broke out on his forehead and he was a leper the rest of his life because he presumed that he could step into an office in God that was not his. And so if God's called you to pray, pray. If he's called you to be an ear, be an ear. If he called you to be an eye, be an eye. If he called you to be a mouth, be a mouth. If he's called you to be a foot, be a foot. We can't all be an eye. You know what it looks like if somebody walks in and we're all an eye? It's terrible. I need you and you need me. And we need to move in the office that God has given us. And if you step out of it, that's presumptuous. We're not even to presume on tomorrow. James said, go to now, you who say, I'm going to go into such and such a city tomorrow and buy and sell and get gain when you don't know what tomorrow brings. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. Kathy and I went for a walk again just a couple of weeks ago and we see all these sirens, all these flashing lights just down the street from us. And we learned that a 49-year-old fire chief had just bought a house, had just planted his flowers, and he had just died. And I've walked by that house every day and I look at these flowers planted. I said, no way he was thinking. Because you can tell a man planted them. He just kind of stuck in there. I said, there's no way that when he was planting these flowers, he was thinking, I won't even watch them wilt in winter. You never know what tomorrow is going to bring. You can't presume on a tomorrow. That's why I tell you, plan like he's never coming back, but live like he could come back before I finish this sentence. And that's going to really freak me out if I'm preaching sometime and all of you disappear and I'm still here. (laughs) Oh, we're going to have an altar call that day. (laughs) Promote yourself, Jesus. Presume on God's care, Jesus. Jump ahead of God's timing, Jesus. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And he was spared. Can we stand together? Amen. Well, how many of you needed this today? Anybody being in here, uh, in here being tempted to presume? How many of you can honestly say, I've presumed some things in the past And I still remember it very well. Yeah, I know. All right, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for these precious people today. 
And Lord, as the enemy tempted Jesus, he will likewise tempt us. And Lord, we've learned that he will tempt us to meet a right need a wrong way. And he will tempt us to jump ahead of you and to presume on your care apart from a word from God. And Lord, we need wisdom to walk in balance with you. We need knowledge and understanding. And so we thank you, Lord, for feeding us out of your word right now. And I pray for everyone in this room being tempted to to presume in a financial arena or to presume in a relationship arena that, God, you will help us to wait for the word. That's the one. This is what's right. This is what I want you to do. And I thank you for it, Lord, right now. If you need this today, I want you to raise your hand and say, Lord, I receive this and I receive this wisdom. I need this. Help me not to presume. In the name of Jesus, God has a word for you. God has a word for you. This is the way. Walk ye in it. This is my way for you. This is the path I've set for you. Walk in it. Amen. Let's sing, Steve. Praise the Lord. Let's just let God minister this right before we leave. I'm the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall